Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. That's right, across the world on that thing we call the Internet. Uh, at MichaelDukeShow.com, where you'll find the audio-only live stream, the podcast, all the social media links and everything else, and around the world on this, your favorite radio station and or translator. Good morning. It is the Michael Duke Show, and we are ready to rock and roll. I was just <clears throat> looking at my calendar here for the next uh for the next, uh, well, couple weeks. And boy, is it getting full. It's getting full. Um, uh, pretty interesting stuff. Tomorrow on the program, uh, Roger Holland, Willie Keppel. On Monday, Andrew Gray, Les Guerra. Um, we've got uh, Andrew Surkov next Wednesday, Kathy Hensley, Louis Flora. Plus, uh, of course, Chris Story and Brad Keithley and Firearms Friday. And uh, then it just, I mean, it just from there, it just goes and goes and goes and goes. It's uh, going to be a busy few weeks here as we go back through here. I was <laughs> laughing at the email chain that I was working on trying to get all these candidates squared away. Um, <clears throat> something like 160 different uh, lines and returns and comments and replies and everything else. It's uh, it's going to be busy. It's going to be busy this next couple of weeks. So <clears throat> the next, uh, I guess, few weeks, since we are now officially seven days away from um, seven days, seven, seven days, seven weeks. I'm going to get it here. I'm sorry. Not enough coffee this morning. Seven weeks away from um the actual general election so it's going to be uh it's going to be busy going to be busy it's going to be interesting uh it's going to be an interesting uh, few weeks here as we get things uh, ro- rocking and rolling and we're going to get the viewpoints from everybody we're going to get the diverse viewpoints uh because i think it's important to let everybody have their say. Now we don't have to agree with it. We don't have to. Uh, we don't have to um, uh, understand it necessarily, uh, but we should hear it and we should be able to talk about it and uh, discuss all that. So that's that's where we're at right now. Um, so this morning, uh, that was that's like all coming up. What about this morning? Michael, what about this morning? This morning, uh, we're going to be talking here in just a moment with uh, Justin Ruffridge, who is a candidate, GOP candidate, for House District 7 down on the peninsula. This is the seat currently held by Ron Gillum. So we'll see what uh, Justin has to say, what his take on things are, and what he is, uh, what he, you know, what he brings to the table, so to speak. Uh, and we'll have some discussions on that today. Um, we're also going to be then picking things up 
uh, in hour two right away with uh, Mike Shower for, I guess it's an abbreviated shower hour. He's going to be with us till uh, for the first couple segments of the show. And then we will, uh, then it'll just be you and me. I don't know what we'll do with ourselves for the remaining segment, but we'll figure something out. So uh, that's uh, that's what's going to be happening uh, on today. It's Ruffridge and Shower uh, for the uh, for the biggest part of the show today, and I am looking forward to both of these discussions and interviews coming up uh, this morning. Uh, meanwhile, <clears throat> before we get too far along here, uh, we got about eight or nine minutes uh, before we have to uh, take our first break and then jump into it with Justin Ruffridge. So. I have a couple things that I want to talk about. I'm trying to decide if I want to do the good news first or the good news last. It might be, it might be better doing the good news last, simply because um, oh, I'm going to be depressed by the time this is all over. First and foremost, I had to laugh um, at, because apparently I would cry. Uh, somebody tagged me uh, a couple days ago in a uh, Facebook post, and like I said, I'm not on Facebook enough outside of the show to check my own, I don't know, I got 187 notifications or something right now on Facebook because I hardly ever read my notifications because I, I, you know, it's just not something I do. But somebody posted this right to my Facebook page, my personal Facebook page, a friend in Fairbanks sent this to me. And uh, I had to, I guess I had to laugh simply because I didn't want to uh, cry on this. It's a post in the Alaska Parents uh, Rights in Education group. This is a public group. Uh, it's got, uh, I don't know, 2,000 members or something. And uh, it, uh, it, it, this post kind of, uh, I kind of, uh, it, anyway, um, I, I kind of, I kind of, <laughs> kind of <laughs> I just don't even know what to say at this point. Uh, anyway, um, <clears throat> There's not a whole lot to this other than um, it was a post by one of the members with a picture. And the picture is a picture of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States, uh, compliments of Hillsdale College. Now, for those of you who don't know who Hillsdale College are, they, uh, I mean, they are a group that does, not only do they produce a, a monthly newsletter, which is always fascinating, uh, not only do they have a free homeschooling program that you can use for the history of the United States and more, uh, they're probably one of the last, what I would consider, if I was going to just blithely <clears throat> send my kids to college and be like, I know they'll be okay there because these are some people who are you know rooted in principle and everything else, I probably would have sent them to Hillsdale College, right? Anyway, they provide a lot of free educational materials. Anyway, this Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States, it's a, you know, it's an all-in-one booklet. It's got both of these. Um, and um, the ironic thing is, is that there's a picture of this book on the front where it says the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States of America. And at the bottom it says compliments of Hillsdale College. And then they turned it over and took a snapshot of the back. And on the back is... The address for Hillsdale College, Pursuing Truth, Defending Liberty since 1840-whatever, and the address. And then there's a sticker on the back of the Constitution and the Declaration. And the sticker says, 
and I quote, The Anchorage School District does not endorse these materials or the viewpoints expressed in them. The, the, the Declaration of Independence, and the, this is not a commentary. This is not commentary. This is just, it's just the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. Apparently, we need to hide the children. We need to hide the children and put a disclaimer on it that the school district does not endorse the Constitution nor the Declaration of Independence. Although we are in the United States and uh, we, they, it, are, it is being paid for, it are being paid for with tax dollars. And so I guess, you know, that I, I guess that's, uh, you know, what the. The Anchorage School District does not endorse these materials or the viewpoint expressed in them. Well, I, uh, okay, okay. I mean, I, I just, I guess that's what we needed. <clears throat> I guess that right there is reason number 68 why you probably should homeschool your kids. If that is the re if they cannot get behind the foundational documents of the nation that allows them to express themselves, that allows them to put a disclaimer notice on something, then maybe um, that I'm just you know, I'm speechless at this point. I, mean, I saw this and I was just like, what the actual hell is going on? The Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States of America is not endorsed. <laughs> the Anchorage School District does not endorse these materials or the viewpoints expressed in them. I didn't realize we had to have. I mean, I thought we were just supposed to be presented with the ideas and allowed to make our own decisions. I didn't realize that the school district had to. And here's the crazy thing. I wonder if they're endorsing any other points of uh, curriculum or policy that uh, might be antithetical to the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution of the United States. I wonder if they've got these stickers on, you know, anything from the 1619 Project or anything from, uh, you know, the, anything from their CRT curriculum. I wonder if they've got these labels on everything or if it's just the... You know, just the foundational documents of the, uh, of, of the, I'm just, I'm just wondering, you know, that's, I mean, that's, I'm just, I just, I just want to know, I just want to know if maybe that is the, uh, if, if that is the, the deal, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just wondering, you know, I'm asking for, I guess this is what I'm saying is that I'm asking for a friend. Is this the only thing that we, uh, that we can, uh, that we're worried about? Is this the, is this what we are concerned about, um, for our kids is that they might be exposed to the declaration of independence and the Constitution of the United States is that what is that what we're worried about? I'm because <clears throat> if that's the case, again, 
reason number 835 why we probably should uh, homeschool our kids. Just, just saying. Just saying. Anyway, um, thank you uh, to my friend Jason for sending me that uh, link and uh, and and posting that up there. I'm just I, again, I'm I am reminded again why I decided to homeschool all my kids. That's uh, that's what it's all that's what it's all about right there. Um, all right, uh, one other story. Do I have time to do it? I don't have time for the good news. We're gonna have to save the good news for the end of the show today. Uh, there's a new study out. Uh, it was in Supermarket News, which is a that's a trade paper for supermarkets and grocery stores. Uh, I get a lot of this stuff through what I do for a living, and so I just this one really caught my attention. Uh, the uh, basically most U.S. consumers uh, would say grocery prices are high, but new research by food sensitivity spe- uh, test specialist York Test indicates that things may get worse. Uh, the analysis released just last week projects that the average family shop of uh, uh, the project, excuse me, that the average weekly spend for a family of four will jump from two hundred and twenty seven dollars a week today to more than three hundred dollars a week by the end of twenty twenty four. This is all due to the annual rise in inflation, which is hitting grocery stores and food prices more than almost anything else. Uh, In August of 2022, the average weekly spend for a family of four was at $227. By the end of 2024, August of 2024, so just in two years, it'll be $300. By 2028, if the inflationary trend continues, it will be $496. And by the time we hit 2030, which is only eight years away, it will be at $656, according to the study. My wife was sending me pictures the other day when she was at the store. She did, you know, she went to the store and was like, I, she's just noticing some things. And it was right after I'd posted this article and she was just like, you know, this is thing is right on. And here's what it was a year ago. And here's how much we used to pay. And here's how much. Man. <clears throat> the, it is, it is, it's pretty crazy. But, um. I guess what I'm saying is you really need to uh, pay attention to what's going on around you, especially in the inflationary trends and in your food supply. Uh, At home, food at home reached an increase in July of 13.1%. That is the increase on groceries. It's going to be crazy. 300 bucks a week. First of all, I want to find the family of four that's living on $227 a week in groceries, but... I mean, that's that's be that's an average, right? Um, I got seven people, six people in my house. There you go. Um, all right, we've got to uh, we got to go here. We got to jump up against it. We've got our next guest coming up here in just a moment. Justin Ruffridge is going to be joining us. He's a candidate uh, for state house in District Seven, down on the peninsula. He's up next. The Michael Duke Show continues. Your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll return with more right after this.
is that? Common Sense. Regularly heard on American Radio. Okay, we are uh, on the uh, in the break, in the break, and we are ready to rock and roll here in just a few minutes. Um, we're going to be talking with our guest, and we're going to be covering a lot of stuff here this morning. First, let me go back and say hi to everybody who said good morning in the chat room. Michael Bradshaw was first this morning on YouTube. Good morning, Michael. Uh, Brian, number one on Facebook. You guys are diehards. Uh, Dwayne says, insomnia has its advantages. <laughs> uh, early voting for municipal elections starts on Monday, says Barbara. She wants to remind everybody that that's what's going on right now. Um, let's see. Who else we've got here? Um, let's see. I'm just kind of scrolling through. I'm scrolling through the... Um, um, Scrolling through the chat room here. Um, a few weeks back, he said, Nick wouldn't mind coming on the show again. Food for thought. Uh, David said he spoke to somebody in the baggage campaign. And uh, uh, David, I sent emails out to all the campaigns. Everybody's got an invite. I haven't heard a peep from baggage's people in uh, quite a while. Um, all right. Um, scrolling through here. Harold was a um, that's why I'm going to do homeschooling, said Eskimo Libertarian. Exactly. I mean, I would think that would be a huge reason. That would be a huge red flag. I'm sorry, we don't endorse the uh, views expressed in the, no, it doesn't make sense. Um, uh, just looking through the comments here, see if there's anything else that jumps out and just smacks me in the face. Uh, good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning from Kodiak. Uh, good morning to Kodiak. Um, all right. Stick with public schools. The benefits outweigh the issues. Kids need socialization. Um, a whole generation, multiple generations of homeschooling children and parents would prove you different, Harold. I'm sorry. It's Trust me, with the internet, they get plenty of socialization. With all the extracurricular things that they do from, uh, from uh, um, uh, you know, sports to music to everything else, they get plenty of socialization. So that's, that's a bunch of bunk. Um, all right. Let me uh, go over here. I see that uh, I see that our guest is now joining us here on the program, and we are ready to go uh, and be part of it. Justin Ruffridge uh, joins us this morning on the program. Are you there, sir? I am. Hopefully, you can hear me just fine. I can hear you just fine. I'm going to turn you down just a little bit because you have got a good, solid microphone there. So. We will be ready to go. Um, you, uh, we're about uh, we're about ninety seconds out here. You, we're going to dive right into it uh, as soon as we get going. So as long as you are good to go, I am good to go. I'm good to go. Okay, good. All right, we'll hold the line for just a second. We'll be right back to you, and we will continue here in just a hot second. Justin Ruffridge in the green room, hanging out there doing his thing. Um, and that's it. <laughs> I the comment you guys in the comment you guys are on fire in the chat room today. I mean, it just lots of stuff going on. 
All right. Uh, do me a favor, if you would, like and share this video. Like and follow the show page if you haven't done so as well. Don't forget to also, of course, uh, uh, to follow and subscribe and ring the bell on YouTube, and go over to um, uh, and go over to Twitch TV and do that as well. There, we appreciate that. All right, my friends, coming up into it, it is uh, Justin Ruffridge, candidate for uh, State House in District 7, coming up from the Kenai Peninsula. We're going to have him live. He's up next. It is the Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like a chair, like a chair, like a chair. Let's get going on. Here we go. Ironically enough, there was a commercial break short on one side, so we still have 20 seconds. I had more time to talk, and I can't, but now I can't. We're going to do it again. Here we go. Welcome back to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show. And we're continuing on this beautiful Wednesday. It's supposed to get sunny. I know it is. It's supposed to get sunny in South Central in the Valley area here for a couple days. But, man, I just I'm I feel like I'm waterlogged. Anyway, uh, it is a beautiful Wednesday because we're all above ground and that makes it a good day. Let's jump into it with our first guest for the day. And that is going to be Justin Ruffridge, who is a GOP state candidate for House District 7 down on the peninsula. He comes on board and joins us this morning to discuss all things related to his candidacy in the state house. And uh, we get a chance to talk with him. Uh, we get a chance to talk with him right now. Good morning, sir. How are you? Oh, good morning, sir. I'm well. Um, happy to be on the show today. Well, welcome. Thank you for getting up so early and coming on board and uh, talking with us and uh, getting folks a chance to uh, meet you out there. Um, you know, for, so first things first, uh, you know, I've got a little bit of your bio here, but it's probably better coming from uh, from you. You came up here when you were pretty young. And uh, so give us the give us a full background of who you are, where you are, where you come from. Yeah, well, you were speaking about uh, homeschool this morning, uh, so I'll just segue in and say that uh, for Harold, who it sounds like might uh, might wonder about homeschooling, I'm a product of homeschool. Um, so uh, thanks to my mom, who might be listening, for uh, giving me a good foundation. But my parents moved up to Alaska to be uh, Christian educators when I was nine. Uh, so they taught at a school here in uh, in Kenai called Wings Christian Academy. Um, so I grew up in the Kenai area. Um, and then I went away to school uh, when I uh, when I graduated in 2001, uh, went away to Washington State University. Uh, I got a doctorate degree in pharmacy. I graduated from that uh, university in 2008 and uh, then moved back to the state to start working. In the middle of that time, I uh, met my wife of 18 years and uh she's actually from this area as well um and we moved back and started working here 
Um, a few years later in, uh, 2018, uh, I started, uh, to be engaged in some of our political, uh, stuff here, uh, locally. I served on our planning and zoning commission. And then later I was elected to the Soldotna city council. Um, I currently serve on our state board of pharmacy as well. Um, so I have a little bit of experience in those areas. Um, I love the Kenai, I love the Kenai Soldotna area. It's my home. It's been my home since I was a child and uh certainly happy to serve in uh, whatever capacity i find myself in um and uh, i think service has been a big a big part of who i am uh in, in this community um i am blessed to have two children and uh, they're ages eight and seven and uh, so 6 30 i wish sounded early but 6 30 <laughs> is usually when they uh come and awake me anyway so right so uh, this is the coffee hour all right, good. So everybody's getting all coffeeed up and ready to go around your house, so it's all good. All right, well, good. Uh, Justin, let's talk for a second here about um, uh, the spark, uh, the spark to be part of uh, you know politics and things like that. This isn't your first foray into it. You uh, you were part of the Planning and Zoning Commission. You were originally appointed to the Soldatna City Council. And then you decided to, uh, I mean, make it semi-permanent. You got elected. What uh, what made you make the decision to jump from the local politics into the statewide politics? What uh, what was the turning point there? Was there one thing? Uh, this is where I usually ask people, what what exactly did you lose your mind? Kind of thing. Uh, you know, what <laughs> what's the thing there that does it? Yeah, I think that's a super valid question and a, and a pretty good point. I have to say, especially engaging in this process, um, there is a little bit to it that is uh, somewhat difficult, but it's also really encouraging. Um, I have to say, I haven't gone door to door since uh, my days as a young man in uh, the Baptist church, going door to door with my dad, uh, trying to uh, bring kids to church on Sunday. Uh, so that was my only mindset of door to door and i was a little terrified of it um but i've 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 loved the process of getting to know more people in my community uh that's been incredible frankly uh the the spark has come really from the last few years uh i was engaged in some legislative processes i that even during this last two sessions uh, I helped co-write and and shepherd through the state legislature a couple of healthcare related bills. Uh, the first one was House Bill 240. Uh, second one was House Bill 145. In this last session, and they were really um, important bills for my profession and uh, important for healthcare in the state in general. And it got me really engaged in the process of the legislative session. Uh, so I watched a lot of session and I watched how things uh, work on the House floor and on the Senate floor. And uh, I saw a need. I saw a need for for service. Um, frankly, part of the process that was uh, concerning to me is how difficult it was to feel represented. Um, I attempted multiple times to get certain uh, legislators from, you know, our district uh to to communicate and to work with me um on some of these bills that we were that we were shepherding through the house i'll say all of these bills ended up passing with uh, wild bipartisan support they were not political bills at all and yet uh sometimes this partisanship and and politicalness got in the way of it and uh, i wasn't communicated with um at all and i wasn't asked um 
questions about the bill and and uh it really start, sort of sparked a fire in me that said you know um i think i can represent people if they would have me so i've adopted really the mentality um from scripture uh, i think that's the prophet isaiah of being willing to go so here am i send me and uh and that's really up to the voters to decide so um right now i just have a willingness to do the work and uh i've enjoyed the work and i've done the work in the past so um here we go I was on your website uh, earlier and taking a look at some of the things that uh, you talk about on your website. Uh, And, of course, one of the things that I've heard through the grapevine and through people and talking and everything else is, of course, as a pharmacist, you had a position in the community, especially during the COVID pandemic, um, that uh, raised, uh, you know, that that raised some ire among some folks. Now, you have a, a whole thing on your website under medical freedom where you talk about where you talk about this uh where there have been what you say are false allegations about um you know not allowing people uh you know this is under the heading of medical freedom by the way uh not allowing people to uh have prescriptions filled uh during the pandemic for either for ivermectin or hydrochloroquine and you state that um that that's not true, that you filled 99.9% of all prescriptions that came through the pharmacy and that there was a lot of false information out there. So I wanted to give you a chance to address that. Did you or did you not uh, deny or fill prescriptions for ivermectin or hydrochloroquine or other things that doctors had prescribed to their patients in your community? Yeah, that's a great question. And I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to it today because it has become uh, a very big political issue. And And the truth is, is I I don't actually think that medicine and healthcare should be political. Um, unfortunately, it's become very political and, and it shouldn't have been. My position on the State Board of Pharmacy was frankly, um, it became a hot button place for both sides of, of an argument on politics to come to our board and sort of demand action. We had demands from one side saying, you need to make a statement that says, you know, pharmacists across the state must fill these prescriptions. Uh, but as I think you're pretty aware, I, I am not for mandating actions of people. That is not a conservative value, and that's not a value that any board or commission in the state should take. And then I had people from the other side saying that you need to mandate that people don't dispense these medications because they're dangerous um, or not uh, relevant. And, And I wasn't going to take a position, and the Board of Pharmacy decided not to take a position on that either. In October of 2021, we actually put out a very clear statement of neutrality saying that we supported pharmacists' decisions across the state um, and that if people were to get a prescription for either ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, that they should fill it at a pharmacy in their state uh, to ensure that they're getting uh, medication that may not have been tampered with or in some uh, ways forged or um, have other concerns if if some of those medications I've done some testing on that have come from outside the country and they don't contain the medication that they say that they're going to contain. When it comes to my pharmacy in particular, we we make a habit of dispensing everything that comes to through our door as long as one, it's in stock and two, it doesn't have any sort of corresponding issues or concerns with someone's medical profile. 
if someone has a concern on their medical profile, we go through all of the steps to check with their doctors, to have conversations, to have conversations with them. We, we did deny a couple of prescriptions for ivermectin, and we did that for two reasons. One, we had a lot of people uh, calling in forged prescriptions for ivermectin from doctors that didn't exist. Uh, and so we, we have an obligation to ensure that what we're filling comes from a, from a legitimate medical provider, one. Uh, two, we didn't fill prescriptions for people trying to stockpile uh, stashes of ivermectin. So we would get prescriptions for massive quantities of ivermectin and those because it was very difficult to get for many many months um we we felt like that was irresponsible use of our medication and so we would ask uh, to dispense it in quantities for treatment only um so that was the position that we took at, a, at our pharmacy um i know it was very difficult to get throughout the state multiple corporate pharmacies made the decision at the corporate level that they were not going to dispense it um, and so it, we don't have very many independent pharmacies in the state. I think the number 20 years ago used to be 30 independent stores. Now it's down to 11. Uh, so it can be very difficult to find an independent pharmacy uh, in the Anchorage, uh, Eagle River Valley area. I think there's only three. Um, and that's our largest population center. So, um, yeah, I imagine it was very difficult for people to find. and. Uh, and that's uh, that's where a lot of this has come from, and uh, and I I I'm not sure why that's being um, you know produced as a political talking point, um, but I I do want to say I stand pretty proudly on our record um, and what the board did and what my pharmacy did as well. So I mean, so you did prescribe Iver, or you did uh, um, um, uh, produce I you know give ivermectin. You did give out prescriptions of ivermectin. Uh, but uh, not in huge quantities uh, for people who were obviously it was more than a single dose or a single course of treatment, uh, and <clears throat> and but and you didn't deny anybody based on the fact that you believed that you knew better how than what the doctor knew at that point. Is that what you're saying? It, yes, absolutely correct. And um, you know there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of conversations uh, surrounding this too. This is not decisions that are ever made in a bubble. Um, pharmacists are very conversational people. Uh, we like to have conversations uh, with with patients and with doctors. Um, and so um, the truth is, is pharmacists across our state are are. I mean, we we deny prescriptions very rarely, but we we are required sometimes to do so. I feel um, like one thing that we forgot just happened and is still happening at a high rate is the opiate epidemic. And, uh, you know, and I've actually denied more prescriptions for opiates um, than anything. Um, and only because we find out that a person has already been getting prescriptions for opiates from multiple providers and and then we call and find out that this is you know drug seeking behavior and and we need to do something about that but we are a check and a balance we function very similarly in the medical profession to how government should function which is nobody has carte blanche power over anything um we we need to have checks and balances to ensure that people have safe access to medications and treatments 
Justin Ruffridge is our guest candidate uh, for State House in District 7. Uh, we're coming up against the break, and so we're going to uh, take that real quick, and we're going to be back here in just a moment. And we'll be back uh, right after this. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Justin Ruffridge continues right after these messages. Don't go anywhere. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Uh, we're on continuing now in the commercial break. Justin Ruffridge is our guest. Um, I mean, I think, Justin, you know, the, you mentioned earlier the politicization of uh, of the medical things and everything else. And I think this was part and parcel with the effect of the pandemic and the shutdown, um, you know, the 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 lack uh, and the reducing of freedoms and liberties of people Um and it, it it is no surprise to me that it became politicized because that became the choke point for everything that was going on. And, um, you know, I believe personally as a libertarian that people should have the ability to, you know, treat to get the treatment that they need, whether it's unusual, whether it's even FDA approved. If somebody says that they've they've been convinced by the evidence or by a medical provider or a holistic doctor or somebody that, you know, frog dung or something is going to fix you. And then that I mean, that should be a I mean, you know, that should be a personal choice. Uh, You know, if I want to drink alcohol and poison myself, that should be a personal choice. If I want to, you know, smoke or vape or do whatever, those things are personal choices. And as long as you're willing to live with the consequences, that should be that's part of freedom. You know, freedom is a two edged sword gives you the ability to do things may mean that you might hurt yourself at the same time. You know, you've got to be cautious with that kind of stuff. Uh, but people, I think that's why it's got politicized. Um, and and I think, you know, some of the stories and, of course, all I've ever heard is anecdotal stories. So, I'm, I mean, I don't have any firsthand knowledge of any of this. But, I mean, I think that's what people said. And, of course, in the telling, many of these stories, I'm sure, spun much further than they were. Um, but I mean, you know, people, there are concerns, obviously that to have access, especially since the federal government has locked up medications, some of which are fairly benign into this tight, tight, you know, framework of, no, you've got to get everybody's permission to basically make yourself healthy. I think that's part of the problem. Well, you're absolutely not wrong. I I, I will say one of the more difficult days for me as a healthcare provider was the day that uh, our current president pointed into the television screen and said, this is a disease of the unvaccinated. And I knew as boots on the ground, when they made a a mandate for people to become vaccinated, um, that this is, this was wrong. And I, I would, I would sit with, you know, grown men and women sobbing, trying to make a decision between their, their livelihood and whether or not to get a, a vaccine. And it was it's it was very difficult. And I feel like there were mistakes made. I feel like there was mistakes made at the CDC level and mistakes made at uh, the FDA level. And um, absolutely could not agree with you more on the ability of people to decide 
Um, frankly, I actually have a piece of legislation I'm working on right now called patient choice legislation. Um, it's actually one I've been working on uh, for a while before I started to, to run for state house. Um, so that's going to be coming forward one way or another, whether I win this or not. Um, it's something that myself and a couple other people have been uh, working on pretty diligently. So um, uh, I look forward to seeing that. I think that'll be really important piece of legislation coming forward. So you're not opposed, and again, I don't, I don't want to beat this horse to death uh, over the horse ointment. Uh, but I mean, you know, uh, to you're not opposed to prescribing ivermectin if a physician says this is what they need, and if you can get it. Uh, obviously, there was a demand for it, as you said. Um, but you're not opposed to prescribing that to a patient who brings in a legitimate prescription for the drug. I mean, that's not something that you're opposed to doing. Nope. Did it. Did it many times. Still doing it. Um, yeah. One of the only things I asked people and asked uh, patients and providers both, um, I wanted folks early on in the pandemic when we were dispensing ivermectin to enroll in a trial in this country called the Active 6 trial. Um, that that uh, clinical trial has since closed for lack of participation. Um, I thought if we were dispensing it, we might as well be getting data from it uh, so that we can see what's happening. Um, but for some reason, there wasn't a lot of uh, there was not a lot of support for that from patients or providers. So um, that that ended up not, not making it. Unfortunately. Well, not surprisingly, but, probably because nobody wanted to end up on the government's radar as you watch them wildly run around and try and mandate vaccinations and everything else. Nobody wanted the ban hammer dropped on them for daring to use something that the government said was not going to work. You know, so I, that's yeah. Well, not real surprising that that probably is uh, uh, coming out. Yes. All right. Well, we're coming back up onto it here. We are uh, just about 45 seconds out. We're going to dive into the real issue. I mean, this is a real issue, but we're going to dive into the real issues of the state, the mechanics, the PFD, the budget, state spending caps, the fiscal policy working group, and more. Uh, we're going to try and rush through this because we're only going to have about 11 minutes or so when we get through it. This time goes fast. This is the fastest two hours in radio. So it's uh, it happens every day. So, all right. Yeah, well, we're all happy to be back. So, all right. Thanks. Justin, hold the line for a second. Uh, we're going to be right back to you. Uh, you hear that? That means it's time to jump back into it to pay attention to what's going on. And we are going to do it. Folks, if you haven't, please like and share this. Show. I know I ask every day. But it's, you know, you got to do it. We got to share. We got to go. Here we go. All right, we're continuing now. Uh, candidate interviews, only seven weeks until Election Day. And we've got a whole spate of candidates coming up today. We're talking with Justin Ruffridge, who is a GOP candidate for State House in District 7. Uh, we just finished up discussions on medical freedom and everything else. Another section of your website uh, is specifically linked to the PFD. Now, this is a huge issue for many people, Justin. Um, they are very concerned. Obviously, the last six or seven years has been um, very painful for many Alaskans as they have not received their full share of the dividend. 
Uh, you talk specifically in your piece here about the law that they should be that they should be following the law. Then you say that the problem is, of course, is that oil prices bottomed out. We've drawn from the budget reserve. We've depleted. We spent all these savings, and you've come up with a three-step solution that you think will fix this. Um, but you do start out saying that you think we should follow the law. So give us the give us the rundown here. Yeah, well, this has been a sticking point um, between my opponent and I, and and he likes to uh, quote and actually quoted on this show last time he was on an email that I sent to him and actually two other of our Peninsula delegation in the House about the permanent fund dividend during this last budget cycle. And, uh, you know, he references the fact that he was got an email from me and, and thought that uh, potentially I was saying that I wasn't for a full statutory PFD. So I, I do have the email. And uh, as you've said, I'm very clear about it on my website. And, and so I'll read the email that I sent out to uh, to representatives uh, from our district and from the peninsula in general. Uh, I wrote, I'm writing in opposition to the budget approved by the Senate. While I support a full statutory PFD, adding a energy credit while robbing state coffers is neither conservative or responsible. Please do not concur with this budget and send it to committee. Um, my, my problem with it is that we've continued to add gimmicks to this structure. And the more we continue to do things like energy credits and things of that nature, we continue to say that following the law is not important. The initial budget that came out of the house was not anywhere close. And then the budget that came out of the Senate uh, still wasn't um, what we would call a full statutory PFD. Um, I think that number should have ended up around somewhere around $4,400. But it had, you know, it's just, we've created a political monster, a football that we kick back and forth, and then it takes up the entirety of our legislative session. It's frankly nonsense. And it's difficult to watch. Um, Obviously, the end result of of conference committee wasn't great. Um, so, you know, you just have hope every time that this decision gets made that somebody will just stand up and make the right decision. And what I hear going door to door is people just saying, "Listen, we 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 understand what's going on. Like people aren't aren't dumb. They they know what's going on. So hey, either follow the law or have the guts to change it." But don't just sit around and make it up on the fly. Um, and that's what I feel like has been being done. And that's really where people are upset. Well, and unfortunately, it seems like the Democratic majority is the one that's playing the games with the energy relief and everything else. I mean, the money's all coming out of the same funding source. It's all coming out of the earnings reserve yeah. account. And so they wanted to make it very clear that this is not part of the dividend. This is part of. And again, as you said, it's playing games. But here's my point. The point is, is that it all came out of the earnings reserve account. You can slap any label you want on it, and effectively, it's still part of the PFD. And shouldn't people have had the largest PFD that was as close to the statutory law as possible? I mean, doesn't that make an effect? I mean, doesn't that make sense in that regard? Yeah, and so they really put the Senate in a difficult position, right? And so the Senate... Um you know, in reality, probably should have um, tried to get somewhere close to a $4,400 PFD, but instead what came forward was close to a $5,500 PFD because they had to continue to keep the energy credit in there. It just, I watched all of it during budget session and it was, it was honestly terrible to watch. Um, 
We had multiple senators saying, I never want to do a budget like this again. This is the worst thing I've ever done. And now we're seeing the ramifications of that. A lot of them aren't choosing to come back um, because it was frankly, um, it was frankly very, very difficult to see. Uh, but no, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, we need to, and, and from the people in my district, we need to follow the law or we need to change the law. But either way, they want it settled. Uh, they just want it to be a thing that you click a button and and hit done and right. stop arguing about. Your three-step plan says balance the budget, step one, follow the law, step two, and step three is a constitutional spending cap, uh, which looks good. This all looks good on paper. But I guess my question is, in the in the portion of step one where we balance the budget, shouldn't follow the law be number one? Shouldn't we be following the law to begin with and paying the full statutory PFD and then balancing the budget with what's left over instead of? Are you saying that we should balance the budget on the back of the PFD and then once we have the budget in place, then we should follow the law? What is, you know, the steps of your process seem to be, in my mind, out of out of place with each other. Yeah, that's a really good point. And no, to answer your question, I think the PFD should be paid as step one. You're absolutely right. And for most Alaskans, I feel like that has gone without saying. Unfortunately, you're absolutely right. That probably needs some clarification. Um, but no, that that it's not balanced the budget on the back of the PFD. That that is uh, frankly never the way that this process has worked, and and nor is it the way that anyone wants it to work. Um, but I do think that one of the issues with our budgeting process is that we choose to do it every year. Uh, the truth is, is that if we if we made it a priority to just pay the PFD by following the law, we could switch to a biannual inventory uh, and a biannual uh, budget process, not inventory. Sorry, business things on my mind. But there is a there is a uh, a part of that would really help our legislative session. We could pass a budget. It would be good for two years. Many states and municipalities do this already. And then we could have the rest of our 90-day session because that's what the people have said. We right. want 90 days right. to be dedicated to legislation. Um, yeah. But the PFD has to be solved in order to switch to that. Well, and, and I agree. I think that should be first and foremost. You've got to starve the beast because otherwise it will always be a question of what's left over. Uh, until you pay the permanent fund first, it will always be we'll take whatever we want and then whatever's left over will go to the people and that's got to change. The statutory, excuse me, the constitutional spending limit, you support that that idea? Do you support putting the PFD formula in the, in the Constitution as well? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that the more so than anything, I think what I hear from people is the legislature needs to have a spending cap and it's already in our constitution. Uh, but the formula for what's in the constitution is frankly absurd um, and really needs to be looked at and um, and 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 made to be real. Uh, so the, the people of Alaska have spoken and they actually voted on that spending cap twice in the 80s. Uh, once was as a referendum vote, and it's still the people said we want a spending cap on the legislature, and that's never stopped. Right. Um, but the the constitutional format for it isn't isn't super efficient or or used. Uh, I have just over a minute, real quickly. You're familiar with the fiscal policy working group? Yes. Okay. Do you support the fiscal policy working group's plan? This is kind of a quick yes or no. 
Yes. Okay. All right. Good. I mean, I I think that's a good roadmap, and unfortunately, leadership continues to put it in a drawer, and nobody wants to talk about it. So, it's good to know that you would use that, and hopefully, use that as a blueprint. Uh, less than a minute here. Uh, final pitch, Justin Ruffridge. How do folks find out about you? Give me your elevator pitch here quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, VoteRuffridge.com. Uh, thank you, Michael Dukes, for the opportunity to be on this show. And thanks for uh, checking out my website. Um, you can also find all my contact information on there. My cell phone is on that website. Uh, also a way to email me. And I will say on that note, I mean, a couple things that were on this show previously we didn't get a chance to say is, one, I am, I am a Republican. Um, I'm not a Democrat, I'm not planning on caucusing with Democrats. That's a rumor that goes around and always does in political times. And uh, frankly, I, I really want to, this is not an efficient way to debate my opponent, uh, right. to come on a show and then say, you said this and I said that. And um, please, I'd love to do um, any sort of in, in-person forum. And well, maybe we, the time, place. maybe we can set that up. We're out of time, though. Thank you for calling in. Hold the line. Folks, Mike Shower up next. Sorry about that. I'm a slave to the clock. When it goes, it goes. I have no choice. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm no, uh, <clears throat> I am uh, not opposed to trying to set something up. Maybe I can set something up between you and Ron here on the radio. We can do an on-air debate for an hour or two. And see what we can come up with. I think that would be, uh, I think that would be a good, uh, um, a good opportunity uh, to point out uh, the differences in your positions or anything else. So, not opposed to that. If you're not opposed to that, I think that's something that we could get in, get in on, and do it together. Uh, I would be absolutely in favor of that. And uh, I think the more we can have that dialogue, the better. So, um, I think that's part of the pro. Honestly, that's the job is to be able to uh, communicate and and uh, put forward positions and be able to speak to them. So uh, since um, if I, I can't do that. Yeah, since, since yeah. I have you here for, I have you just a couple minutes here before we have to go to the next guest uh, and get things set up. But um, the one big thing that I didn't get to was the Constitutional Convention. Um, are you in favor yeah. of the Constitutional Convention? And I mean, since you're looking for a constitutional spending cap and enshrining the PFD, um, is that something that you would be in favor of? Well, honestly, I would be in favor of the, I mean, I love government processes. I think that government, um, you know, is uh, is an, an incredible thing that people have set up in the world. Uh, the only concern I have about a constitutional convention is the fact that we haven't well set the process for how do we find a delegate. Um, and in a, in a super partisan world that we live in right now, um, we should have the processes set up before we call the convention. That's the part that's concerning to me. Um, if that, if I start to hear something come out, and I, I've been involved in talking, I go to most of the things I can about the Constitutional Convention. I'll say I'm actually pretty undecided on that question right now. Um, I'm waiting to hear from somebody. Hey, here's the process for how we're well, how we're going to actually put. Together. The process for two things. First of all, you said I love government processes. That immediately caused thirteen hundred people just to scream at their radio when you said that because I mean, but you're saying it's not necessarily you love government. What you say is you find the process fascinating. Is that what you're saying, or is it that you really love the? That's right. Just the idea of a constitutional convention, like you know, for the history guy in me, makes me kind of like, yay! You yeah. know, you get to be a, a part of like a, 
a big process where people get together and, and try to decide on things right. together. That's well, the and, part I really and the process and delegate, uh, you know, all that stuff, delegate selection and all that, that's all laid out. I mean, it's all laid out there. <clears throat> it may become partisan. Uh, but that's the nature of politics today is that it's going to be partisan. Right. So I definitely I definitely understand, you know, your reticence. I have up until recently was also very resident and hesitant because I was concerned that opening up the Constitution could have ramifications. The good news is, is that it all has to go before a vote of the people before anything is ratified. So um, I, I guess I would encourage you. To see people get engaged and involved in the process that that's the part where i'm saying it would create a big conversation which would be well oh, it would be awesome to see it definitely would and as chris on twitch just said the con con is an all-you-can-eat buffet for special interests that's very possible and that's been my fear but at the same time i also think in the end since the people have to vote on it that is the stopgap at the end so i would encourage you to Continue to support the ConCon and uh, and think of it as an idea. Uh, this was a good conversation. I appreciate you coming on board and um, and clearing the air on some of the things that I think needed to be cleared. And I'm going to invite you back on, hopefully, with Ron. Ron was on recently, and so you have been on. And hopefully, we can get you both on together, and we can talk about you know we can talk about that. So um, I I would love to have that conversation between the both of you at the same time. We'll see if we can make that happen. Justin Ruffridge, a candidate for state house in District Seven uh, on the GOP ticket. Uh, thank you so much for coming on board, Justin, and being part of it today. Appreciate it. Yes, it was a pleasure. Thank you, sir. All right, see you soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, all right, uh, that brings us into. Um, that brings us into the next segment of our radio broadcast. Uh, uh, State Senator Mike Shower is joining us, and uh, apparently no internet interwebs access where he is at this morning. So we've got him on the telephone. Is that uh, is that? Uh, do I have that right, sir? Are you with us? You are accurate, and I can't tell you, or I'd have to kill you. Yeah, I can't tell you. I'm in a bunker. I'm in a bunker in somebody's backyard. No internet access. Um, all right. Uh, good Lord. Um, <clears throat> good morning, sir. How how are you? How are you doing? Well, uh, top of the morning to you. I'm doing fine. Just busy. How about you? You know, no, no complaints. No complaints whatsoever. Um, I'm above ground, as my grandfather used to say, every day above ground, a good day. So Indeed it is. As long as we're on this side of the grass, everything is green. Um, all right. So we're about uh, uh, 60, 70 seconds out here, and we're going to jump into this. Uh, any topics that you are interested in covering today, uh, just so that I can kind of plan what I'm going to ambush you with here? <laughs> yeah, standard. Uh, there's a couple of good ones, you know, just the uh, stuff that's happening on from the ACLU with some of the bills that are being signed and not signed. I think it's pretty fascinating to see where their position is. Like, I'm the one with the election stuff. We kind of mentioned that before, you know, the Supreme Court overturning the lawsuit about uh, Ford funding education. You know, that's kind of settled down now. There's, you know, some of these things kind of happening. You, you heard you about the con con at the end there and all the money being spun up. So there's a lot of, lots of little things, you know, that are kind of taking place, um, you know, that I think are valid topics for a little bit this morning. 
yeah. people want to know about. All right. Because there's not too much with the legislature, right? I mean, it's pretty quiet right now. Yeah, it's no, definitely now. Campaigning. Yeah, now we're into full-on campaign mode and looking at the differences in the policies. That's, I think, going to be the most important stuff. So. It is. All right, right, Mike, we'll hold the line here. We're going to be with you here in just a second. Uh, folks, like and share, like and follow. Let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, and jump into it. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Like a chair, like a chair, like a chair. Let's go. Oh, let me turn it up. There we go. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. That's right, across the world on the internet and around the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. It is The Michael Dukes Show, broadcasting live. Uh, and uh, we are ready to go and doing our thing. We're continuing right now with our guests from across the state, candidates for various offices as we are just seven weeks away from the general election. Joining us now uh, as a candidate, but of course also he's been a weekly guest for quite some time on the program. Why? Because we like him. State Senator Mike Schauer, uh, GOP State Senator for District E, now District O, uh, comes on to talk with us about a variety of things. Today, it's campaign issues and some of the things that are going on out there in the state. And he joins us for a couple of segments this morning. Won't be able to stay with us the whole hour, but let's jump into it right now. Good morning, my friend. What's happening? Oh, what's happening? There's always something happening, Mike. You know that. Yes, always. always. On top of something. Always, always something. There's always something burning somewhere. You know, it's always something going on. Uh, Mike, uh, you know, we've got uh, a lot of things happening. We are only seven weeks away from the uh, general election. So give us a campaign update. What's it been like out on the road? I know you've been busily working, uh, you know, up in the, on the highways and Healy and Valdez and going back and forth and Trapper Creek and all these different places. Uh, tell me, uh, tell me what's been going on with the campaign. Let's start there. So spending a lot of time in Big Lake and KGB, kind of the new part of the district that they, uh, you know, the gerrymandered board gave us, um, chopping out Delta and Glen Allen, which was a bummer because we really loved it up there and the good people. Um, so, but we have to introduce ourselves to the new people in KGB and Big Lake because as we saw in the primary for us, that's where we were down. The hundreds of votes that we were down, they were all, all there. So um, 
We have spent a lot of time walking neighborhoods and community councils. Now, again, we don't represent that area yet, but we're still going to it so that I can start to introduce myself to the local businesses and the community councils. And like I said, the neighborhoods, because people aren't going to vote for you. They don't know who you are. Well, so, yeah, you're not, seats. you're not representing it at this moment, but as of January one, you would be yeah. if you were elected, but you got to get there. That's the whole point. Right. Yeah. And then also spent time up around Healy, uh, you know, clear air force station, et cetera, because that's all new as well. So they've got these new parts of the district. Um, and that's where we've been spending a lot of time trying to not, blow off you know areas like houston and willow and sutton you know and valdez um, we've already had a couple of trips over to valdez a uh, long drive but you know trying to, to introduce ourselves to the new areas is a challenge just because of the distance and time and cost involved but also you know still going to the areas um, that we already represent so that we can stay in touch so that's that's a big part of it mike is what i'm hearing to answer your question in addition to all the stuff we're doing you know kind of the battle plan if you will is um, three fundamental things so far. And one of them, two of them probably aren't surprising, roads and crime, right? Because everybody's worried about the roads, that kind of stuff, the condition, they're pretty bad in a lot of places. That's consistent, but it's just ramped up this year. Uh, I think I said that a couple of weeks ago, it's almost like people know it's campaign season. They want to see poli you know, um, political figures promising they're gonna fix the roads. Um, we have a lot of money coming, but you already knew that. We already knew that was a problem. That's why I was part of getting that 30 million extra for the Matsu, because that gave us 60 million. You know, in addition to the other uh, IGEN money coming down, hopefully we're going to be able to get ahead on some stuff. Another story. Um, the other one's crime. But we talked about this many months ago, even before I left the session. I told you I was getting concerned about it because we already saw where the economy was headed. And typically what happens when the economy starts to, to slide into the depression or recession, depending on what it is, you know, crime goes up. Right. People get desperate. They lose jobs. Things happen. So neither of those are a surprise, but definitely hearing a lot. And then I would actually say the third one isn't a surprise. The economy. That's if I was to say those are the three hottest topics from that perspective, um, that's what I'm hearing from people for concerns. You know, not to me, people, people, when you talk about the dividend or spending cap or other stuff, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, they, they, it matters. You know, and speaking of that, you know, dividend comes out here in just a few days. Um, so that's going to be a nice help for people that are struggling. I think it was a 32, 67 or whatever it was, something like that. But um, then I get to I get to toot my horn woo on that one, right? Because that was mine. Uh, right, did right, that. right. This is like the Joe Biden stickers on the gas. Yeah, I Biden did that, did right? That. Well, I, they Mike should, Shower actually did. They that, should put so. those stickers on all the checks with Mike Shower's picture. I did that. Yeah, yeah. Mike Shower did that. So, um, but that's going to be at least a help. I know it's not statutory, but you know, I can't control the fact the House shot it down and gave it back to the you know Finance Conference Committee that had five of the six on there that are anti PFE. What are you going to do? Um, but, uh, so that's, I think that's the big stuff we're hearing, trying to address that. And then the thing at this point, Mike, like you said, campaign season is just trying to explain to people, you know, what is the, what are the policy and, and position difference of every candidate, you know, regardless of not just my race, all of them, right? Because you, you want to make wise decisions. We have this ranked choice voting that in some of the elections is actually pretty important because some of them, you probably only want to vote for one. Some of them, you probably want to rank the red and put down both Republicans, even if they have to hold your nose or whatever. So, and then you see a race like the one with Merrick and McCarty, Wright, And I forget the other one. And, oh, uh, Trotter and Trotter and Wright dropped out, I believe in time. So it actually gives us a path to victory to get rid of one that, you know, joined with the Democrats, which is Merrick. So there are so many things going on right now. This is just a kind of one of those seminal moments in Alaska's, you know, history <laughs> for a lot of elections, ranked choice voting, yep. economy's terrible, a lot of stuff going on. It's like, it's yep. busy. And then how do you wade through the crap with all the different, you know, the, uh, the people that you have? I mean, mine's easier in one sense, right? Our race, because there's only two of us. 
both Republicans, um, but one of us has some clear policy, you know, um, differences from the other one. One of them has zero experience and a very light um, campaign page when you look at it, you know, kind of very vague statements on stuff. Mine's very specific and people, ha you know, know my record, what I support and what I don't, what I've done. So, but you have to get that in front of people so they know and understand why would you send me back, right? And ask those questions. This audience doesn't mostly need to. They've been asking questions and throwing stuff for, for years here. So they kind of know where I stand, but everybody in Big Lake and KGB doesn't necessarily know that, right? So um, that's where we are. And I know you're going to have a lot of candidates on over the next couple of weeks, you know, trying to get people on and, and hit them up. What are your positions? You know, and I, I go back to, you know, when you ask the questions, Mike and everybody else is they ask for good, solid questions. We are terrible at asking questions of politicians. Do you support the PFD? Well, if you ask my opponent that, he's going to say, yeah, sure. Well, what PFD do you support? Now you're looking at a different answer. Right. You know the one that I support, I've been clear, but his is not the same. He doesn't right. support a statutory PFD unless government is funded first. And he says the PFD that the, that the government can afford, which means you're going to get the $1,000 PFD that Natasha von Inhofe supports. But see, if you don't ask the right questions of your candidates, you're not going to get the right answers. So... That's a big part of the next seven weeks for people is is getting those questions out. Ask your candidates where they stand on stuff, but know how to ask the questions, um, or you're going to get an answer that's going to allow them later to to weasel their way out of doing something different, right? Like finding right. caucus. That's right. my opponent. You know, I'm not going to join one. Ask them what does a collaborative approach mean, because that's what he says on his website. I don't know. Does that mean you're going to join a binding caucus and give your vote away? To me, that's that's probably what it means. But you need to be able to ask those questions of all the candidates, not just this one, you know, right? So um, it's going to be an interesting time, brother. You had all these things together. That was a that was kind of my opening seven or eight minute, you know, dialogue there. But there's a lot going on, a lot. Well, and that, and that's good. I mean, people have got to see the differences between. I mean, if candidates can't differentiate themselves, then what does it matter at that point? And you do have to ask the detailed questions. You know, uh, you're right. My favorite question is, do you support the PFD? But of course. Uh, which PFD is that? Well, the sustainable one, the statutory uh, one, the yeah. one that we can afford. I mean, th those are important questions, and and hopefully we're getting that information out here uh, for folks. Uh, and we're trying to nail them down on the hashtag follow the damn law because that's, I mean, that's what we should be doing. We should be following the law. And any candidate who uh, who can't say that. I think, uh, quite honestly, doesn't deserve your vote, that they should either be following the law and fighting every step of the way to get there or um, or explaining or explaining why. Lucy, you've got some explaining to do. Lucy. Yeah, Mike. I mean, I hope you get my phone on ask those questions, but I hope you get all of them, not just him. I mean, people, it takes more than just one you know, seat to do this stuff, as you guys are well aware. I mean, ask him those questions. Which one do you support? Right. Do you support a binding caucus? Will you, will you join one or not? Will you join a muskrat coalition, you know, with a bunch of Democrats to get a power seat? You know, you have to ask those questions. And I hope you'll ask them of all of the candidates, because these are very, very important things. Right. I mean, people say certain things and go, well, what does that mean? You know, so that's the point of getting, you know, I hope you'll come on and well, you could get a chance to ask questions and the audience can ask questions and make them answer them just like you guys do to me. You've been doing it to me for five years. Yeah. Sometimes pretty harshly. That's okay. That comes with the job, Mike. I expect to get spears. Hey, somebody suggested that. Then 
Yesterday, I had an argument with Brad Keithley, and people, I said something about put up your dukes, and people said that should just be a segment where you just argue with somebody over something you don't agree with. I mean, maybe that's what we need to do, just a put up your duke segment. Um, You know what? If a politician or a candidate can't put up with that mic, then you probably shouldn't be doing this job. Right. Well, we've seen you. If if you can't play with the big dog, stay on the porch in this one, because that comes with territory. And you You know that. I know that. We've been in the job. You wonder why I haven't had Lisa Murkowski or Don Young on this program for the last, uh, you know, eight years or something because again they don't like it when you ask hard questions i think that's part of the job i think that is that's what you should be doing if you can't answer the hard questions even questions you disagree with and explain why um then uh, then you don't you shouldn't be there that's pretty much and that's the bottom what line. a politician mike is a real politician and i say that in the sense of one that really wants to be in these jobs forever that this is their thing this is their title this is what defines them this job is what gives them power prestige title the real ones hate to answer questions because then they get pinned down on something they want an answer that can be spun to answer any crowd they talk to and say well no 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 i support you oh i support you too no, right. that's fine no i didn't really say that no i didn't right. really mean it this way that's not exactly what you asked me that's what they want to do because then they can they never make any group mad right their goal is to keep as many people happy with them as possible so that they can get those votes and get back in office and if you think that's not how a real politician thinks brother i got some beachfront property for you in arizona because <laughs> it's a lovely place. how they think my friend lo- i can see the ocean i can see the ocean 120 degrees exactly very, very warm. Very warm. um i want to talk briefly before we come up on break here we're about two and a half minutes uh three minutes here there has been some good news we saw the uh, supreme court of the state of alaska come out and we talked about this previously uh, uh briefly uh earlier but i think it's it's important to uh to note that the legislature is not infallible they continue to try to do these things like these uh wonky voodoo economic policies like forward funding and things like this uh recent court case came out and said uh no, you can't do that. Uh, and, and I think that's good because it keeps the legislature in their lane and allows, the, you know, for some realistic budgeting. What do you say? Which, by the way, that's the actual role, right? I mean, the, the judiciary is not supposed to be the most powerful branch. It seems to have become so lately in our history. They should be the weakest branch. Their only real job, my friend, honestly, is to just elevate statutory laws that, you know, or actions that come out of the legislative and the executive branches against the Constitution. Nothing else. Not rewriting the law not activism, blah, blah, blah. But in this case, that's exactly what they did. The legislature tried to pass something in the budget that was deemed unconstitutional, taken to the courts. The court said, struck it down, said constitutionally, we're looking at it right here. No, you can't do that. Awesome. That's the way it's supposed to work. And by the way, as you, as I told you before, I had an amendment on the floor during the budget date to strip out forward funding for education. I fully support funding for education. We have to do that. And by the way, it's a constitutional obligation. However, what we're not supposed to do is the forward funder pick an agency. And I said that on the floor. And boy, I had, you know, the finance committee members and all the old guard laws. Oh, we're going to stand up for this. We should do this. We can absolutely do whatever the heck we want. I'm like, see, that's part of the arrogance, right? Is, oh, they're getting away with it. And for the last however many years, the basic judiciary has said, yeah, yeah, you're the legislator, buddy. You can do what you want. So I got all the arrogance of shooting down that amendment I put in to strip it out. I said on the floor, I said it. This is unconstitutional. It was nice to be backed up by the Supreme <laughs> Court for once saying, yeah, this is unconstitutional. But this is the arrogance and hubris that the legislative body has come to for the old guard that's there that thinks they can pretty much do whatever they want. It was nice well, to see that check on, on power for once. Not only can they do whatever they want, that they have almost a mandate from God to do what they want. Because remember, they know better than us how we should spend our money. They know better than any of us how we should take care of things. That's what they're all about. 
And uh, and and I think that is, again, that's why I call it the politician's disease, because it's a currently I mean, it's a never ending random boil of badness. All right. We got to uh, we got to jump to break here. We're going to uh, take a quick break. And when we come back, we will continue with State Senator Mike Schauer, who uh, is a GOP state senator for District E going or is District O going to be District O. Um, and uh, we're going to continue with him here in just a moment. We got one more segment with him. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. Back with more right after this. What is that? Common Sense. Regularly heard on American radio. Michael Duke Show. All right, we're in the break right now. Mike Shower is our guest. Um, I just saw somebody, Dar- D- Dylan asks the question, where does he stand on oil and gas development? Well, I know the answer to that. But, Mike, where do you stand on oil and gas development? We, my, my friend, are a resource state. If we do not extract our resources, then we have essentially hung ourselves because we don't have anything else to pay for the size of this government, for the jobs that we need for people, good jobs and all the ancillary downstream benefits of supporting the industry and everything else that comes with it, right, economic wise. So I support more development, more resource um, exploration and more uh, responsible because you always have to have that in there, right? You got to hold them accountable to do the right thing. Um, responsible development of all types. Look, I, I hope someday we find zero point energy or whatever else, cold fusion, you name it, that's going to solve all of our problems. But in the meantime, brother, we're not there. Um, and from both a state perspective of just jobs and economic survival, and then strategically for the United States of America, as far as things like rare earth metals that we have a vast store of, 470 years of known coal reserves, decades and decades and decades of oil and gas for this nation, we need it or we're going to be hamstrung. Look at what's happened in Germany with Gazprom and Russia right now with the war in Ukraine, Europe in general, because they're restricting the gas flow. Look at China, who's locked up most of the rare earth metals. So, brother, we have to responsibly continue to develop our resources. It's a no-brainer to me. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree. I mean, we should be bringing that. You know, we need to be resource independent. Uh, And we were for a little bit there. But now, again, and we've seen what's happened with the geopolitical situation, uh, Russia and Ukraine, for example, and what's happening in Europe with Gazprom and all that, um, and how they can be held hostage uh, over these things. And we need to be make sure that we're oil independent, that we're mineral independent. Uh, We shouldn't be depending on other countries like China, et cetera, for the rare earth minerals and, and stuff like that. And we have a huge supply. Uh, I mean, Alaska is a resource state. I think, you you know, you said that quite well. Um, and that doesn't mean that we leave money on the table either. You talked about um, <clears throat> going back and, and uh, rediscussing the taxation scheme and taxation structure for the oil companies. I mean, this is not a this is not a sacred cow. This is something that we need to work on. And uh, nope. uh, I, but, think, I think it's but. important. There is a but here, Mike, that and for all of our both our big legacy companies, oil and gas, et cetera, you know, industries, but also even down to the small ones, we have to provide a stable business and tax environment. And Alaska is notoriously terrible at that. If we do not set a good constitutional spending cap, because the one we have right now sucks, let me just be frank with the language, it's terrible and doesn't work. If we do not fix that to provide a stable environment, 
what business is really going to be, you know, just gung ho about doing stuff in Alaska because they never know where we're going to be. So a key part of fixing our fiscal policy, putting our house in order is that spending cap, because then at least they know moving forward, Alaska is not going to go crazy up and down in the spending. So there's a lot. That's why when we, when I talk to Mike, it's always about a comprehensive plan. It's not just one thing or the other. It's right. a comprehensive plan. Well, that provides that, a stable environment. Right. I mean, that's need that. that was the point of the whole, I mean, the whole fiscal policy working group plan was, look, this is a holistic plan all in one. You cannot take bits and pieces and have it work. It has to, all of these pieces, all of these pieces have to be moved at once and have to be worked on in concert together. Otherwise, it's just not going to, it's not going to work out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's you fix one thing only you're really not fixing the problem you could fix the pfd and at least it takes something off the table but you still haven't fixed the business environment you still haven't fixed our spending and how we cap it moving forward and what it's tied to so until we do all of these things like just enacting a tax why would i vote for that i might as well just burn the money because there's no limit on it right so it's got to be a part of the plan mike that works that constrains us moving forward and something that we can't so easily jump over like a statutory spending cap right because we always laugh right what's the joke in juno it's like statutes yeah that's not a block we we, we just we just, right yeah, we just, we just so. walk right. We can do what we want because we know better than you. We're not gonna. All we're right. not gonna change the. We're not gonna change the statute. We're simply going to ignore it. And then, of course, they wonder why people are losing faith in government at every yeah. level. Don't trust us? They're mad. Of uh, course, I yeah, get it. Exactly. Um, all right, uh, we are coming back into it here. We are about uh, thirty-five seconds out. Mike Shower, hold the line, uh, folks. If you uh, haven't, please like and share, like and follow. Do all the do all the Facebook and YouTubey things, and uh, also on Twitch. I saw that uh, Saitem is on there as well. He said uh, he said uh, a couple good things. Production, bring it up, production back to America, and some other stuff. Thank you for joining us on Twitch out there, Saitem. I appreciate it. Here we go. All right, welcome back to the program, The Michael Duke Show. Don't forget, if you'd like to support the show, you can become a member of the Common Sense Corps, which is our fan club over on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash Show, or you could just go to michaeldukeshow.com and click on Join the Corps, and it will tell you all the things you need to know about becoming a member of the Common Sense Corps, which helps, of course, uh, you know, fund the program, gets us new equipment. We've got some new cool software we're working with and everything else, thanks to the members of the Common Sense Corps. And it's just another way to financially support the show for as little as a cup of coffee a month. You could help support the show, and we appreciate you out there. All right, uh, Mike Shower is our guest, and we are uh, ready to jump into this now. We're going to talk about some of the other policy issues and things that are coming up. Uh, Mike, obviously the PFD is a big issue. We just dealt, uh, but we just dealt with the ranked choice voting, and it seems like every candidate that I've spoken to in the last couple of weeks, when I because I like to ask candidates, what are the people on the ground saying? You're walking door to door, you're knocking on doors, you're seeing people, and I'm like, what are they concerned about? Because that's always interesting to me. Um, I used to think that it would always be the PFD at the top of the list, but that's not the case. Many of them are saying now that it's ranked choice voting. Is that what you're finding? Is that this this has been on their mind or uh, give us your thoughts here. Well, I said some of the big ones I'm hearing crime roads and um, of course the economy because that, that's affecting people directly. But when you're having these conversations, if topics come up, 
like ranked choice voting, so far, 100% of the people I've talked to on the ground are opposed to it, 100%. I mean, I've not sat, had a single person goes, yeah, I'm so glad we got that. There's a couple people that have gone like, it's okay. Or, you know, I haven't found anybody yet that's voted for it, which has been strange. Um, but every town hall, every, uh, you know, campaign event, whatever I'm at, every single person um, so far has been don't like it, want it gone. How do we get this? You know, et cetera, et cetera. So I am seeing no love for that system. So if I go back along with other legislators, I can already told you guys in the crowd here, I've already got Senate Bill 1 ready to pre-file. It may be pre-filed now um, to strip it out. Um, but I don't think you're going to see much support for this after this election cycle because people are already, what the heck is this? This is stupid. It doesn't make sense. It's confusing. It's going to disenfranchise a lot of the you know worst groups that are vulnerable, you know, like minorities and the senior citizens. That's just what the data shows nationally. So um, my guess is after this is done and, and it successfully reinstates Lisa Murkowski, because as we all know, they've even admitted it. That's what this thing was really brought in, dark money to, to right, do right. at the national level. Um, we'll get rid of it. Too late for this one, you know, to keep her out of office. But um, that's what I think is going to probably happen because people have asked, how do we get rid of it? And it's, you know, you either repeal it, which is expensive and manpower intensive, or the legislature does its job and repeals it. And I think that's what, whether I'm there or not, I think that's a very likely course of action. The right. legislature, like SB 91, the crime bill, sees a lot of heat and goes get rid of that thing. So, well, we'll yeah, but, and we've seen a half a dozen candidates who've said that they're working on bills right now to repeal it. So I hope I hope that that's the case. I think that, it, you know, especially now that we've been through it, I think if the vote was held again tomorrow on ballot measure number two, it would go down in flames uh, because I have yeah. I have I have found a handful of people over the last two years who said that they did vote for it. Um, and I said, well, and, and they said, well, but it was about dark money. That was what it was about. They, you know, that was the pitch, remember? And that was the Project Veritas video that came out that said that they knew that, that they knew that that would sell to Alaskans. And hopefully nobody found out that that was their whole ploy the whole time. But obviously we figured it out. It wasn't. Yeah. If it had just been ranked choice voting, it would have failed. If people knew even a fraction then that they knew now, it would have failed. This was sold under a lie. It was very deceptive. But, you know, hey, savvy, good on them. They, they They won their battle. Now it's going to be up to us to win the war yeah, um, and take it back. So that's we'll see how that battle goes once we get there. You know, But in the meantime, the answer still becomes, Mike, we have it. It's the law. We have to follow it. So educate yourself. Know how to vote this election before we screw it up. And that's what we're dealing with. So you still have to deal with reality. And reality is we have it for this election cycle. So make sure you know <laughs> what you're, you're supposed to do. Do it and vote in person. Right. You'll get, you know, you'll, you'll get your ballot cured. And if you're conservative, independent, Republican, whatever, you better rank the red because we just saw – how we handed an election to Mary Poltola, a Democrat, because people in Nick Bagich's camp and people in Sarah Palin's camp could not bring themselves to put the other one down as number two. Right. And guess what you did? Well, yeah. You handed the election to a Democrat. But did, people, did, we have been telling you that for months not to do that. We saw Begich's numbers, right? 20% only voted for one candidate. It was a bullet vote. They didn't put down the second candidate. So the uh, the 20% didn't vote for Sarah Palin. Uh, that was what was left there. And then we did you see the numbers that came out of the Palin numbers when it was all said and yes, done? Yes, I did. And Sarah was saying that too, Mike. She was telling people 40%. not to put Begich as number two. At least he was telling people to put her down as number two. Yeah, I mean, 40%. Well, what I mean, again, we've got to if we don't play the game we're never going to win and and because unfortunately we have it. you don't have to like it, it we got it so exactly you deal with it it is the game right. and we may not like the game but if you want to win it and we need to win it then we've got to play the game and unfortunately you that's, better understand yeah, the rules and play it that's right what we're not doing we screw this up there were more than enough numbers more than enough numbers um uh so anyways yeah um, 
Well, it's uh, it's interesting stuff. James Carvel, of course, who is a uh, a, a political pundit, well known political pundit. His his one of his most famous comments, and one of my most favorite, is. It's the economy, stupid. Uh, and that was in regard, of course, to people who were talking about all these different policies and everything else that they should be running platforms on. And he said, no, no, no. It's the economy, stupid. And that's what we're dealing with. You said that that's a lot of folks are saying to you. And the economy has to do with what comes out of their pockets and how people feel about it. And a lot of that in this state has to do with the state government as well, because the state budgets uh, obviously help either foster or hinder a business environment. We're seeing business in this state struggling. Uh, ever since mandates, we were in a recession. Then we hit the COVID on top of the recession as we were trying to come out of it. It's just been a hot mess. And, of course, government spending has been wildly out of control. Um, uh, you know, over $6 billion this last year alone. So, Mike Schauer, as GOP state senator going in, how do we? where do we cut? Where do we fix it? How do we make that budget fall in line with what our revenues, our actual revenues are? There's a lot of ways you can do things, Mike, and everybody's going to scream when it's theirs, right? It's always fine if it's somebody else's slice of the pie, just not my slice. And we're all probably going to have to hit that. Look, the legislative budget budget has crept up. We're going to have to, you know, make that. There's a couple of ways. Let's say, well, number one, let's look at your university, for example. I support it. We need a good university system, right? We do. But they need to do a better job of using their land grants and not needing $342 million a year from the state government, right? That's a third of a billion dollars. I'm not saying you can get rid of it all, but you can certainly have them do a better job of using their own land grants, which they refuse to do in so many cases, like the University of Texas does. And then that would take pressure off. We could we could do that. That would be one, right? You might look at things like um, that universal across the board cut and you allow your agency and, and lead directors of each division to make those cuts themselves, right? Remember I told you of the report I saw a year or two ago and it showed, hey, rank from like, you know, one to 10 and they sent that out to, you know, the state agencies, you know, and one and two being the most important and, you know, 10, you could live without that program looking at ways, you know, they could possibly reduce the budget. Every single program is a one and two. Come on, brother. We know that's not true, but nobody's willing to give up their slice of the pie. So like the federal government does at times, it goes, looks at the military and goes, military is easy. They salute and do what they're told. You get a 5% across the board cut, figure it out. Oh, crap, but you got to make it work, right? So there may be some cases, Michael, we just look at it and go, you know what? We're going to have a general bypass so people can plan, but maybe you come in and go over the next four years of the next administration, we're going to reduce the budget 5%. It's not a lot, but it's going to start to go down and you're going to have to plan for it. And they know every year is 1% or 1.5%. There's ways to do things that drive it that will be less painful, that gives people time to plan, but also looks at stuff because we're also looking at how do you recruit and retain people because you want good people, right? So there's that, that we're struggling with that problem right now. So there's there's offsetting things here. Usually when the economy is south, people tend to do better in the government jobs, right? So maybe they won't complain so much because the economy is tanking on the private side right now, private sector. So um, there's a lot of things like that that we can certainly do. Healthcare is one of them. That's a massive cost to us. We have got to rein that in. There's a number of ways from insurance and other stuff we could be doing. I know some that's not my lane. I haven't focused on that. It's not something I have a lot of experience in, but a lot of legislators are. So there's areas in health costs where we can certainly constrain um, and start chopping some of that down. So there are areas, Michael, people say you can't, uh, you can. I know talking to the education side, K through 12, there's areas in there where they have lots of extra money available to them that they hold it. I had a superintendent brief the Matsu delegation a couple of years ago and told us that there are areas they could absolutely live with and have no problem and no interruption to the, the teachers and the kids in the classroom. 
Um, you look at Anchorage, you know, asking for bond debt reimbursement stuff. Well, they're they're building more buildings, but they're getting less students every right. year. What are you well, doing, right? And so now they're more get, better management. Well, and now the crisis of, uh, oh, my God, now we're $68 million in the hole, and so now we're going to have to close these schools that we're still paying bonds on because we didn't do well with the money that we – and so now well, they're looking – I'm not buying the Washington Monument syndrome either where you get to yeah. close the most painful stuff. That's what they do every time. Stop Every time, that yeah. That's garbage. Stop every it. time, no. yeah. No, and, and it's frustrating. I mean, we've got 54 school districts in this state, uh, many of them with just a handful of students. Why we can't consolidate some of these school districts down and make things more efficient, I have no idea. We've got a university system that has three separate universities in it that each one has their own hierarchy and structure and duplication of effort with one overarching university. I mean, we, we should be consolidating. We should be tightening the belt and pulling things down. But by God, if you ever suggest it, Mike Shower, why do you hate children? I mean, that's that's it. That's it, right? That's it. That's what happens. It's the emotional argument, and people don't listen. And then, like I said, it's like, well, go cut that agency over there. Don't cut mine. Mine's too important. Everything's a one or a two. And so, and I'm not suggesting, Mike, that it's that easy, or you can just go, just cut. You know, I get that that's not necessarily, it needs to be done well. It needs to be done with a scalpel, not necessarily with an axe, right? Because otherwise it becomes a problem, and you can make mistakes. But that's why I go, if you go back to local control, you go to the lowest possible level. And you go, you look at your agency, you know, your commissioners and your agency directors, your lead directors for teams, and you go, where can you guys do it? You're going to have a 1% cut next year. Figure out what you don't need. And now they start going, ooh, we better actually prioritize what our programs are. Right. And we can get rid of that track the something, something program in the bush that nobody ever looks at, you know, whatever. Right. So there are there are ways to do it, Mike, that would make sense. But I am cautious about it. And I've been through this rodeo before. We saw what happened in 2019. It was a mess. So we would have to do it a little better than that and probably a little more well, smartly. And a lot of this is so, going to come down to organization, right? Because sure. it depends. I mean, the important part is who is sitting in the finance seat when it's all said and done. And so a lot of this is going to come down to organization in the Senate and organization in the House. If you have a bunch of people like Mike Schauer, who's a fiscal conservative and wants to reduce the size and scope of government, but you've got a handful of people in there who are the pro-big government crowd, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, it doesn't matter in this state. It really doesn't. R or D means almost nothing in this state. Are you pro-government spend or are you pro-private sector spend? That should be the labels that you wear on your lapel or on the on the ballot. So it all depends on who is in the organization and how it gets organized and who ends up in the finance seat. That's why that spending cap is so important, Mike. If we're successful in resource extraction or growing you know, more oil through the pipeline or more mining or more logging, fishing, whatever the things might be, well, guess what? The, the revenue goes up. The taxes that the state takes in goes up. Well, what happened to us before we had that? Without that spending cap, we've spent it. One of the problems we're struggling with right now is the size of the government. Once you create it, it's hard to get rid of it, right? Because then you're a terrible person if you want to cut people's jobs. And I remember Von Imhoff on the floor going, these are good jobs, government jobs. I'm like, yeah, that's what we should do. We should be in the business of creating long-term jobs forever. You know, as the government, that's not our job. That's the private sector. But if you grow the private sector and everything comes out of it, well, your tax base grows, right? But if you don't put that spending cap to limit the size of government growth concurrent with that, then you've set yourself up to fail again. So, you know, if we grow the private sector, that's how we're going to help ourselves get out of this mess, right? Partly as long as we constrain the size of that government growth and or try to reduce it efficiently where we can and where it makes sense. And so, so anyways, it's a, it's, it's not just that yeah, I go out and people say, just cut. But it's not that simple, guys. I, mean, I hear what you're saying. 
but it's not that simple because you don't have the votes to do that. You don't necessarily have the structure to do it. Right. And you have to do it wisely. So it's going to have to be a plan. It's going to have to be stepped into. It's going to have to be something that people can, you know, look ahead and, and go, okay, well, how do I need to get around this and make all this work? Um, but, you know, you're going to have to have a strong governor and a strong legislature that's committed to doing it or people will cave. That's what happened in 2019. People caved and eventually all of the governor's vetoes were overridden. All that half a billion dollars got reinstated because too many legislators were worried. They had unions yelling at them and other stuff. And they just said, oh, OK, I'll vote for it. And eventually we lost them all. So uh, Let's get to the wrap up. Mike Shower, a minute and a half here, two minutes. Uh, final thoughts here for today as we get into it. We'll hear from you in a few weeks, uh, two or three weeks. But want to get your final thoughts here on the way outside. Well, I'll, I'll just say this, Mike. I said, look at each race. I'm glad you're getting people on. I hope my opponent will come on too. I will, I will make my pitch since this is my chance. Why would you send me instead of the other guy? I've been 24 years of military experience all over the world, working with allies, operational you know, officer, commander, joint staff. I've got private sector experience in big business, small business. I've been a senator for four and a half years, so I understand the people, the players, the logic, the staff. Everything's ready to go. Pump is primed. Why would you change horses in the middle of race, right? We are ready to go, and I bring all that to the table to hit the ground running coming next January. Or you can replace it with somebody that's done nothing but be a state employee for 25 years with none of that experience. Brand new rookie starting over. To me, it's a no-brainer on who well, you would send back. Yeah. So that's my pitch to you for why. So. Right. Well, and the collaborative thing and the whole leftover PFD. And, and other yeah. things, absolutely. That definitely makes sense to people. But from a pers- perspective of why you would want me there, um, from experience and the rest of it, I think it's not even a question. If you want to get into the things of, you know, support the PFD, define benefit plans, you know, finding caucus, all that stuff, there's significant differences too. You should research But I think that all of those things together in aggregate make me the right candidate at this point in time to send back to Juno. So there you go. Mike Shower, uh, MikeShower.com. You could find him there. Uh, and of course, uh, he'll be out and about and around. And uh, folks can go over to your Facebook page if you're going to have any meet and greet events and all that kind of stuff. Mike, yeah. thanks uh, thanks for coming on board this morning. It's good to hear from you. We will yeah. uh, we'll talk to you soon, right? All right, brother. Yeah, you let me know when it's time to come back on. In the meantime, have fun with those candidates the next couple of weeks. Yep. You guys take care. It's going to be good stuff. Thank you, Mike Shower. We appreciate it. Folks, we are out of time. we got more coming up. One more segment dead ahead. We're going to do the good news. We'll have more right here. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Your mental suppository. The Michael Duke Show. And we're in the break and we're ready to continue discussions and everything else. I don't know. Should I open up the phone lines? Does it matter? Do we care? Should I just do the good news and rant a little bit? I, I just don't know. Um, this is the study I was talking about earlier. For those of you that had an interest in this, uh, I just remembered that I didn't post it to the show page. I posted it to the, uh, I posted it only to my personal page. I should have posted it to the show page, but I didn't. But here it is. This is that supermarket study that I was talking about earlier, talking about the cost of food and uh, how there are not good days ahead. If we continue in this inflationary cycle, uh, what things are going to look like here in just the next handful of years is uh, woof, not good. So anyway, there's that study uh, that I was talking about earlier. I wanted you guys to all get a chance to look at that and read that. Yeah, the um, the uh, 
the the books are full. Tomorrow on the program, Roger Holland will be joining us along with Willie Keppel, both of them candidates for office on Friday. We're going to have Rob Pincus on the program for Firearms Friday. Rob Pincus, of course, is uh, part of the Personal Defense Network and the PDN Tour. He's the founder of Ice Combat Training and more. He's going to come on to talk with us about gun stuff because it is Firearms Friday. Then next, uh, and then next week, we're going to be uh, talking with uh, Andrew Gray, uh, and Les Guerra on Monday. We'll call that Blue Monday, I guess. And then um, Andrew Surkov on Wednesday. And uh, we've got some other candidates. And then Louis Flora and Kathy Hensley. It's going to be busy. I'm, I'm looking. I'm already booked. Um, not solid yet, but I'm pretty booked up over three weeks out right now with candidates. So it's going to be a fun, fun time here in the next uh, in the next uh, few weeks on the program. Let me go back to the chat room here and um, and see what some of the comments have been. Um, somebody said earlier, I, I know early on, right at the beginning of the hour, somebody said that they wish I had taken phone calls with Justin Ruffridge. And that might be something that we do in the next time we have him back on. I personally would love to get him on again, uh, head to head with Ron Gillum. Since Ron's been on and now Justin's been on, it'd be interesting to have them on together to get the differences in their positions um, on, uh, you know, in a single one-on-one contest. I'd love to do the same thing with Mike Shower and Doug Massey, quite honestly. I think that would be a, uh, I think that would be a great thing. But so far, Massey's campaign has not responded to my request to appear on the program. So we'll have to see. Uh, I don't know if there's just, if there's strategy to that, if there's just hesitance, uh, I, I'm not sure exactly what's going on, but uh, hopefully we'll see. Um, we'll see what, uh, what happens here in the near future. Uh, municipal elections are in October, uh, October four. Some of those races are crucial and that's Barbara. She's up in the interior talking about the races for borough assemblies and for city councils. So the muni races are important. I would agree with that. Um, please get Jeremy Bynum on for District 1, says Susie. Um, Jeremy uh, has received, let me just make sure, but I'm pretty sure that Jeremy got an email uh, that said, uh, that uh, asked him to uh, come on here. Let me look real quick in the list of... Um, uh, and although I sent out an email with 127 people on it. So it was, it was pretty, pretty hot. Gerald Bynum. Um, let's see. I not sure what his email address is, but I'm just looking here through real quick to see if I can uh, see it. Um, I'll do my best. Like I said, I sent an email out to every candidate that was listed on the state website. If the candidate with their filing put their email address, I sent them an email inviting them on to the program. And so it, uh, I guess we'll see. Uh, I guess we'll see if he appears um, on that. Um, hopefully, hopefully he does, Susie. We'll see what, uh, what goes on. Um, uh, Dylan says he likes the idea of on-air debates. I, I mean, I think it would be interesting. And with the new software we're working with now, it makes it simple and easy. We can have a three-way video conference and uh, and do that. It's going to be uh, – it's going to be – it's – I think it's going to be good. 
Uh, and yeah, we may take phone calls uh, down the road here for the candidates as we go through. Haven't done that over the time, first of all, because it was technically difficult uh, to try and get everybody uh, where everybody could hear everybody and ask questions and do that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, more importantly, just because sometimes I get involved in the conversation and I don't take phone calls because I'm, I'm you know, I'm doing I get it's my own thing. That's why. Um, <clears throat> all right. Um, let me go back here. Uh, let's see what else people have been saying about. <laughs> Robbie said, I'm not crazy about suppositories. That was because I played the tray. I played the, the bumper that said your mental suppository. That's what this show is. It's your mental suppository. It just cleans you right out. Cleans you right out. All right. Let's get back into it. I guess we'll do some good news and we'll see how far I go with that. Maybe we'll open up. No, we'll open up the phone lines first. How about that? We'll open the phone lines first. Here we go. Jumping back into it. The Michael Duke show, common sense, liberty-based free thinking radio. All right, uh, one final segment of the program for today. And why not? Let's open up the phone lines because we can. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and guess what? They fixed my phones. Yes, thank you to GCI for finally getting everything put together. And uh, they fixed the phone lines. And so now... You can call in to our normal call-in number at 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. And we'll just open the lines up for anything you guys want to talk about here in the last few minutes of the show. I am happy, happy to do that with you if you would like to sound off and be there. Meanwhile, I promised it, so let's do it. The good news. This is a segment we started here not too long ago simply because, you know... We're all sick and tired of all the bad news all the time. I mean, I could pull up the Drudge Report right now and just feel sick to my stomach by the time I read all the different headlines from around the world. I'd just be like, oh, oh, right? I mean, seriously. So sometimes you need the good news. So let me hit you with the good news while we wait to see if anybody calls in on the phone this morning. And uh, this latest, uh, latest piece of good news came out yesterday. Author spends his lifetime searching for a woman who taught him to read, and then she surprises him. Author Jamil Jan Kochai tried for years to connect with his second-grade teacher, a woman who he credits with all the successes he's had in life. He was a young immigrant who didn't know any English, and it was Mrs. Lung who stayed after hours every day in their Sacramento, California elementary school to teach Kochai one-on-one how to read and write, something that she managed to do in just a year. It was something that Jamil never forgot, but after moving to new schools and districts, he lost track of her. And the more his career grew with success, the more he felt he had to reconnect with that special teacher who kickstarted his life as an author. Uh, he looked 
for years, for more than 10 years, he'd been looking. 10 years, calling school districts, looking for names, looking leads up on Google and social media, visiting schoolhouses. All of it proved fruitless. He said he felt like a detective running into one dead end after another. Um, as he went through things. In fact, he put up a Twitter post that said when he found this old school photo in a box 10 years ago, he said, I almost lost my mind when I saw that Mrs. Lung's first name wasn't on there. He was trying to figure out what her first name was and who she was. Uh, and then more than 10, after more than 10 years of looking, it was a big surprise. The moment came after all these years of turmoil he was doing a book reading and signing for his new event and his new book called The Haunting of Haji Hotak and Other Stories when he received a message from Mrs. Lung's husband at the, at the, uh, right there at the signing. He rushed up to, up to uh, uh, Jamil, introduced himself, and brought him over to Mrs. Susan Lung. And he said, I finally got to hug her. He goes, my seven-year-old me finally got to hug my second grade teacher again. Um, it was apparently uh, they had seen Miss, Mrs. Uh, Mr. Lung had apparently read an article uh, and seen the article that uh, Jamil had written for LitHub where he mentioned the impact that Mrs. Lung had on him and that he had been searching for her. And so she brought her to, brought her to the event and he got a chance to say thank you to the woman who made him help make him the man that he was today. After 10 years of searching and an inordinate amount of success, he said, I've been wanting to thank her for almost 20 years, and then she surprised me at my reading last night. That, my friends, is the good news. That it restores my faith in humanity. That's what it's all about. All right, uh, let's go to the phones. Uh, we got a couple lines on hold. We might as well talk to them real quick, see what's going on. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Yes, this is Bonnie in North Pole. Hello, Bonnie. What's on your mind? I like to speak about the meet and meet and greet for bureau candidates, borough assembly, and school board people that are running. Okay. At the Hotel North Pole, Friday, September sixteenth, from six to eight p.m. Okay. Friday, Hotel North Pole, oh. 6 to 8 p.m., Borough Candidates Meet and Greet. Come on out and see them this Friday. And Yeah, Borough Assembly and School Board Candidates, yes, Meet and Greet. So, yes, thank you so much, Michael Dukes. Thank you, Bonnie. <laughs> Appreciate you calling in this morning. Let's go over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Randy in Fairbanks. Hello, Randy. What's on your mind? Oh, you know, on your chat room, I've been talking a lot about uh, having two PFDs per year, which I advocate for, you know, one, the 1980 original PFD style, and, and the other, the existing 1982 style. And I sent an email about this to just about all of the legislators, and I've received about eight responses back from the legislators, you know, just short little responses. Um, and I think it would be a good idea, and I did go to the library yesterday looking through microfilm. I was trying to figure out when did he did they exactly pass the original 1980-style PFD, which favors long-term residents, and that was done, passed by the legislature, and signed by Governor Jay Hammond on April 15, 1980. That's trivial information, but um, I appreciate uh, Rob, Senator Rob Myers. He, he gave the longest uh, responses to me about it, and we had kind of a 
back and forth. He was kind of gave some critiques of possible pitfalls and everything, and I really appreciate his observations on that. So uh, anyway, I, I talk about it at my website, pfdbudget.com. So I hope uh, some people consider that and be nice to get two PFDs instead of one. Well, I mean, your idea is is interesting, uh, 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 Randy. I, I won't say that it isn't. I mean, I've looked it over. I've uh, we've talked about it in the past. But again, I guess my major question here is: is what's wrong with the current uh, dividend that we have right now? I mean, the the uh, you you can't. I mean, first and foremost, while your idea is interesting, the Zobel decision will tell you probably that you can't do anything based on length of uh, length of residency or anything else because they'll find that unconstitutional. And so I guess my question is, what's wrong with the statutory dividend that we have right now? What we have right now is great. You know, I'm glad that it was fairly big this year and everything to help people out. Uh, the slight flaw in it is that it gives just as much to a new, res- new one-year resident as right off the boat and all their relatives and everything that flood in, as it does to long-term Alaskans who have contributed and toiled and spent, you know, but again, winters here. Again, Randy, and, and the, that's the only flaw. Again, Randy, and, the and courts. My uh, idea would address that a little. Well, bit. But, but again, Randy, the courts have already said that you cannot put a longevity clause inside of the PFD. You can They've already decided that. I mean, that's already been, that's what the whole Zobel decision was about, was about length of residency. They couldn't make it, a they could set it for one year, but they couldn't give more to somebody who'd been here 10 years versus one year. That's already been decided. And this is equitable across the board. If you've been here a year and established your residency, then that's, then that's it. I mean, that, that, that's, again, I don't understand. You're trying to fix something that quite honestly is not broken. If they just follow the law... There wouldn't be an issue. And while your idea is interesting, again, I think it would face stiff, stiff constitutional and judicial challenges, especially with precedent under the Zobel decision. So, anyway, thank you, Randy, uh, for appreciate your call. I'm sorry I got to go. We're done for today. Tomorrow on the program, Roger Holland will be joining us and um, Willie Keppel. Roger Holland, Willie Keppel, candidates coming up tomorrow right here on the big radio show. On Friday, it's going to be Rob Pincus will be joining us for the PDN Network. And we'll be talking with him about Firearms Friday and gun stuff. That's all coming up this week. The Michael Luke Show. We will see you tomorrow. Be kind. Live well. Love one another. See you then. Again, I, I just I keep going back to this, but I, you know, uh, you're trying to fix a, pro- you're you're trying to create a solution for a problem that's not pro- the solution to the problem we're having with the PFD is to hashtag follow the damn law. That's the solution to the problem with we're currently having. There's nothing wrong with the statute. There's nothing wrong. What we have is a lack of political will for the politicians to actually follow the law and do what they need to do. And in fact, that PFD formula is probably the best thing that we have available to us right now. All right, folks, uh, we got to go. We we, we got we to gotta go. I appreciate you all coming on board. And as always, a great show today with you. I appreciate you uh, participation on all the channels, YouTube and Twitch and uh, Facebook. And we will see you guys tomorrow. 
I hope you have a great day. We'll see you then. We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.